Hey guys, this is Danny here. I just want to take a second to tell you about Halsey Roofing and the great people there. Uh, Matt, the president, uh, I know on a personal level, I'm good friends with him. We go to the fights. Uh, he brings his crew to the fights, man. You sit and talk and you interact with them. You can really tell that they care about uh, the quality of their work as well as their clients. Uh, so if you need new siding, if you need repairs, roof, gutters, whatever you need, man, give the great people at Halsey Roofing a call. I'm going to go rip these guys' arms off or beat him with a car. And I'm like, that little bitty guy that just walked by here is murdering anybody in here that he wants to. My bad. Yo. Hey, sorry for the way, my nigga. Weezy style. Say goodbye to the old guy. Back because I'm too fly to ever. A blowjob in the parking lot's a blowjob in the parking lot. <laughs> On your lunch hour? I'm a man. I'm 40. Hey, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the right lane. Uh, I'm Danny, and I'm joined today by my, my boy Josh, man. How you doing, Josh? Wonderful. How uh, about you? I'm all right. Uh, said you had a kid, had a basketball game earlier? Did. How yeah. do you do? Are you doing all right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're eight. Yeah. So e I don't know what you expect out of it. But e Evie's playing in this uh, instructional little league yeah, up the do? street. Uh, she looks like a giant out there with the rest of the, the five-year-olds. Sharpening she's six. her bows. Oh, she's such a monster. <laughs> like, man, she looks like baby Shaq next to all these little kids and stuff. That's like, awesome. there's literally one. He's uh, He just turned four. She's six. But she's a giant. And uh, he she's literally twice the size of him in height. Good. It's no, it's hilarious. Shut I, him down? I had to tell her to calm down on defense. Oh, you had to calm her down. Oh, she was just snatching the ball from. They're little as fuck. Wow. Yeah, she, I like the aggressiveness. She don't play <laughs> until 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 somebody gets loud with her, and then once and then she starts crying. She does this whole face thing and stuff where she's all upset and sad. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "He yelled at me," and I'm like, "No, he didn't." And how can you come from my house? Yeah, and, and have she, <laughs> his, whoa. Hang on, let's back this up. You're right, right, right. <laughs> right. Well, well, yeah, we can go down that road in a little bit, but I, I would imagine she'd be pretty used to it no, I'm, I'm, I'm loud all the time i've met you yeah i've met julie i don't even i don't even realize that i'm like screaming or hollering or being loud this is who the fuck listen i am to her brothers talk to her. yeah our house isn't loud as fuck yeah so uh what do you know about uh our guests we're having today i only as much as google and <laughs> everything else can show uh, me from uh everyone we talked i don't i don't think google does that i don't think that yeah, that's the thing. That's kind of why I, I uh, asked him on here. That and a little something else that I'll bring up in a little bit when we talk to him. But uh, everybody that we've interviewed, everybody that I've talked to and spoke with, yeah, raves about him. Like, says nothing but good things about him. So I know I don't want to get rear naked choked. <laughs> and he can easily do that, I too. Know, I know. <laughs> hey, without further ado, welcome our guest, Jordan Dowdy, uh, uh, 9 and 5 MMA fighter, trainer, helper. Uh, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been in this sport about 12 years now, 2010. 2010 was the first time I stepped in a gym at CMMA Fighting Systems. I actually brought out the old shirt today. My brother found the gym, and we had watched the sport for years. Uh, man, I mean, this story can go back for quite a while, but, you know, I was always an athlete, always trying to compete. Did you play uh, sports in high school and stuff? Yeah, I played basketball, and I played, uh, like, baseball leagues and all you that. played basketball mm -hmm. i mean this with the utmost respect i would not picture you a basketball player oh, and right. i i say this as somebody who played basketball competitively my whole life and doesn't look like a basketball player especially today's weight uh that's awesome though oh i got game i love it i love that poster you got over there jordan lebron and kobe right there all walking together yeah yeah I mean, people the, the whole comparison of who's best who's the greatest 
it's whatever. Everybody's got their own opinion. I just enjoy the fact that uh, you get to see all of it, that I've gotten to see all of it, that I've gotten to witness it. That's the most I find to be special. Yeah, I didn't get to see MJ or Kobe play, but when the Lakers just played in Chicago, me and my brother were like, we're going to go see LeBron play because we missed the other two. Right. And, you know, what happened with Kobe, it just kind of make you learn some perspective. Yes. There's a lot of, even whether you're not into basketball or anything like that, there's a lot of mental stuff you can get out of those guys just watching them compete. Kobe more than any of them. Oh, he was crazy. Because LeBron, or not LeBron, Michael always comes off as just an asshole to me, but Kobe, like, for some reason, even though he's an asshole too, I was going to say, it, but it doesn't, it doesn't come off <laughs> that way though. Like yeah. uh, Jay Williams was in, came to the, they were playing a game against each other, and he comes into the gym, uh, and Kobe's already in the gym, and or, uh, so he does his workout, forty five minutes, an hour, whatever, and he's like, oh, well, he's not leaving, so he stays around for a little longer, maybe fifteen more minutes, and then he walks over and he stay, wants to see how long Kobe's going to stay there, and he's like, so uh, Kobe, let me ask you a question. When he finishes that thirty more minutes later, why why'd you work out so long? Because we got a game later this day, too. So you're talking Kobe's been at it like two hours now. And he was like, because uh, I didn't want you to ever think that you was going to outwork me. Because I hear you. I know you're coming. And I'm going to outwork you and everybody else around you. That's that shit that you can take from in any – you can use in anything in life. Uh, MMA, boxing, uh, basketball, work, anything like that. Uh, don't be outworked by anybody. Oh, yeah. That's killer's mindset. I remember hearing that story. And it doesn't surprise me about that guy. So um – yeah, going back, I uh, was playing basketball, baseball throughout high school, and then all of a sudden I started having pain shooting down my leg, and it was a little over 15 years old, close to 16. I just kept playing through it, you know, and so finally it got to the point where I could barely walk without being in some serious pain, and I went and went to a doctor, and I went through that line of stuff. I blew out a disc in my back. I wasn't even 16 yet, and oh, so wow. I'm sitting here at his chiropractor's office, and he's like, yeah, I think your athletic days are done. And I'm sitting here like, my dad's there with me because anything medical I've ever been through, and I've been through a lot of stuff, you know, he's a champ at that. And I just kind of look at him like, yeah, I'm not listening to that. I don't like that answer. We got to figure this out. So back at the time, it was 2003, I went and saw this doctor, and he started this procedure. They do it common now. My brother just had it. It's called a microdiscectomy with where they go in, and they remove the chunk of the disc compressing the nerve in your spine. And, you know, it's under a microscope. And this guy shakes my hands. And, and you, it's like a thing of bananas. You were how old? 16. <laughs> wow. You had back surgery at 16 years yes, old. Yes, did. And wow. Well, I don't even remember. I didn't have, like, this oh, shit moment that I remember where it happened. It kind of gradually did. My dad said I dove for a ball that was going out of bounds and threw it back in and landed in the bleachers. Got up and jumped back in the game. I don't remember that. Possible. But uh, so once I had that done, I was – like secluded to the basement for two weeks, couldn't even go upstairs. And I kind of had to build back slowly. And so over the summer, you know, I was able to do a little bit more stuff. And then in the fall, open gym started. And I'm like, I'm going to go see what this feels like. And so I'm going and I'm, you know, I'm recovering from it. And, oh, I don't feel too bad. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then uh, got on the team that I was on the year before. And this time it was, what was it, my junior or senior year? One of those years. It doesn't really matter. But. I remember I fell, I shot up, and someone ducked under me, and I fell, and I hit the floor back. Mm. And I remember looking up, and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to know when I get up here <laughs> whether I'm good or not. And I got up, and I'm like, oh, baby, I'm back. Like, And then ever since then, I, it was taken from me, I felt yeah. like, and I got it back. And I didn't ever want to lose that again. So it's always been a gift. I mean, you've trained enough where there's times where injuries come up, and, and they're even like small ones. You just know you have time out, but it's taken it away from you. And you're just like, man, I can't wait to get it back. Yes. I feel like you've been robbed. 
uh, you, you feel like uh, it's you've been cut short. It's just, it's been taken from me without my giving it away. Yeah, uh, and that's the worst thing that can happen. The one thing though, like doctors always give the the worst case scenario uh, side of the story or the situation and stuff. Because Bo fought when he fought Tony Souders, he uh, got dehydrated before the fight or whatever, and he had fucking uh, damage to his uh, kidneys. And they told him he should like it, whatever the grade was. It was severe enough to where the doctor was like, "You should never fight again." He went on to have like twenty two fights after that and shit like that. So, uh, but at fifteen years old to hear something like to like that, that's got to be a soul crusher. Uh, and I, I mean, even though I know you, the positive mindset that you have that you have to have to come back from anything like that, especially at that young of an age. But to hear that at fifteen, was there ever any doubt? Like, did you ever think, "Oh fuck." Well, yeah, at first, until I went and saw the right doctor. When right. I saw the right doctor, he's like, look, man, we just kind of started doing this locally here. Uh, before, it was called a, a discectomy. You know, there was a lot more damage they had to do to get in there to, to get it out. Yes. And the micro version of it allowed them not to damage the nerve as much. And once he's like, you know, you'll know within a few months from here, you should be able to be normal again. And normal for a doctor is different than yeah. uh, unless you have a doctor that deals with athletes. Right. And that's always the issue. And whenever I was able to start moving again, oh, man, I was back. I was competitive. I was, you know, gym class. You know, we took gym class very seriously yes. in high school. <laughs> and that was taken from me, too. And I had to whoop all their asses for missing a year of it. Uh, it you're uh your intensity kind of makes a little a little sense a little more sense now too though, and not that it, it ever didn't, but uh, there's there, it gives like a little credence or root or uh, a way to because of it. I'm sure your dad your dad's similar to you. Are you similar to your dad? Personality wise, yeah. Right on. Okay, there, there's part of that too. But when something is taken from you or you're robbed of your of your time, it it yeah, especially at that young of an age. Uh, I commend you for like man, that's pretty gnarly thing to happen at a young age and have to come back from and work your ass off and fight from it. Uh, Kudos to your dad, too, man. That yeah, he's, I mean, he knew that was what I wanted to do. One of the best things they did, because we lived, my dad was in the military, and we lived overseas. <laughs> it makes, for, uh, it makes it even more sense. So, <laughs> so we moved back when I was five years old, and, you know, I started. Moved back from where? Uh, we were at Lake and Heath Air Force Base in England. So oh, wow. From, I was born in Biloxi, Mississippi, and at three years old, we went over there. We were supposed to stay there for a while, but. My uncle was at home dying, and so we moved back early. My dad got a uh, request, and we came back. So I'm here, and, like, all of a sudden, here's your family. I'm like, who are they? I'm like, here's your cousin. He's, like, four days younger than yeah. you. And I'm like, oh. So I got put into kindergarten, and then, like, they put us into sports right afterward. And that was the best thing they really ever did because if you're a kid, like, it's not something you would choose to do. They right. put you in it, and it teaches you – you know, how to be sociable, how to be a teammate, how to even just compete. Keep coming with that because I think that I think that parents missed it, missed that shit so much. Like when my kids were first first here in Little, uh, I'm like, oh, I'm going to put them in basketball. I'm going to do this with them. I'm going to do that with them. And I get all these this white noise around me that people are like, you know, your kids are supposed to be their own person and you can't have them. You can't they can't love something because I, I know when they get to that age and they don't want to do something no more, I won't make them do it. But. Right now, they're going to go play football. They're going to go play basketball. And this is what they're going to do because this is what's good for them. And these are the, everything you just named and so much more is why you should put kids into sports. And if it's not sports, man, put them in, in something where they have to deal with people outside of their house at the youngest age possible. Well, and just be around people. And you know what? Just because you put them in 
baseball at six years old doesn't mean you're going to be thinking they have to be a professional athlete. Like, you got to sample everything. You know what? You may put them in sports, and they go, you know what? I kind of like playing the violin. So rock, you know rock, what? Rock if you're passionate about the violin, go with it. As long as you're not sitting on your ass on an iPad not doing anything. Just have something that you're passionate about. See, I almost had to, I almost had to fight my kids in the last year or so, though, because uh, since Rona happened, these little, uh, these little crumb snatchers that I love so much, and d- I do, uh, they decided they just wanted to sit around. And I'm like, nah, man, we're not doing that. So I bitched at him for a while, and then I ended up taking him down to uh, Arnold BJJ with Kurt Huff because I'm like, y'all, okay, we're going to become men today. And uh, it was like the happiest day of my life. Yep. I got to see my kid put on that fucking St. That St. Charles and McGee and stuff, and I'm like, man, this is so awesome and shit. My older son, uh, he's he's decent. He was good at. It. He trained at Burgers a little bit. He's always he's always been the one that like really wanted to do shit with his dad. So he 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 enjoyed it a lot. My middle child, Dylan, hated it. He got choked out by a middle aged woman and cried and <laughs> didn't want to go back. So I stopped going in there with him and just I'd leave him in there. But then I'm like, man, he's gonna be Kurt Huff's problem. So we had some issues with that. And then football came back and Danny went back to football. Uh, but I, I refuse to, and I've told them the exact same thing you said. If you whatever, no matter what you want to do, I, I'm down. If you want to play the violin, and I actually, I believe I actually said those exact words. Did I? Yeah, <laughs> I actually said those exact words. I'm like, I, I will, I will support you. I will take you to it. I will drop you off. I will do whatever we need to do to make that happen. But you cannot sit around on your fucking ass and do nothing all day. You have to be busy. Yeah, it grows you as an individual, not just in like how many people you know, how you interact with people, but coaching. Because a lot of things, parents don't let their kids be coached. Like, you mentioned Kirk Huff. Dakota's down there, too. Those two are awesome coaches. Like, if they're in the room with them. And the problem with martial arts is kids don't like to lose, especially to another kid. Because you don't know the – you remember when you were a kid, like, oh, I don't like that motherfucker over there. You know, it's like <laughs> I, you, I can't lose to that kid. What do you mean when I was a kid? School and talk, so it was like last week. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's the hardest part. And that's what happened to me. I thought I knew some shit. And I show up day one at a school, and I'm like, oh. I don't know anything. I am completely out of my realm here. I am completely delusional. I don't even know how to step when I punch. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> and it's when you know how much work's got to be there and you feel unprepared for it, and especially nowadays. I mean, like, there's a bunch of nerds in jiu-jitsu. Like, that's what I was telling. <laughs> like, anybody that's, like, one of my big lifter friends that wants to go try jiu-jitsu, I'm like, cool, it's fine. But just know some kid, some guy, some little skinny guy is going to choke you out and if you mess with him, he's smart enough where you hack your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> because that is all your advice. muscles don't really mean That is a perfect description. Uh, I, I didn't approach, because I had fought before I ever really trained. Uh, so I, I kind of, I mean, I, and I fought a bunch. Of, like it, it, I, you, People say it doesn't matter. I, try, I promise you, to some people it helps a lot, I, I swear. Uh, I didn't go into any the gym approaching like that, because I watched boxing growing up, and I watched MMA and was a fan of the sports already. Like, I was reading all these jiu-jitsu books before I ever actually did anything. So I didn't go in there uh, to be I – I wasn't humbled by, going, by training with anybody because I, I already knew. It was, it was still eye-opening to outweigh somebody by 40 pounds and not be able to really do anything except hand, manhandle them and tap out. Because that's all that was happening. Like, I could overpower them and do things, and then a minute, a minute and a half go by, and all, they had my arm, and they had my neck or whatever. And I was like, how the fuck did that just, did that just happen? And I, I remember training with Yogi, and I always weighed 40 pounds more than Yogi. And as I got better and better, and I might have been, sometimes I weighed 50 pounds more than him. Never came close to tapping him out. And I still, to this day, every time I see him, I, I think of that. Because I'm like, man, there's such a weight difference between us that – it's still a ama- jiu-jitsu is so awesome and it is a humbling sport and it does make you think t- 
twice about who, like I'd look at Kurt Huff at the gym that Arnold used to go to work out in the same gym and I'd see him walk by and I always chuckled to myself because you see all these jacked up dudes thinking I'm going to go rip these guys arms off or beat him with a car. And I'm like that little bitty guy that just walked by here is murdering anybody in here that he wants to. And people don't understand. They still don't understand that for some reason. No. And I think that's ego. I think that's like a protective ego thing. It's like their crutch. Like, and then they're like, oh, I would. But, you know, <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody. I it's fucking like, hate that answer. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I just going to black out and knock everybody out. Well, and. How I became a fan of the sport was in, I went to SIUE, and I dated a girl from Hillsboro, Illinois. And at the time, uh, she was, like, talking to me about the sport and all this stuff because Matt Hughes was from the hometown. She's like, yeah, we know him and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I looked him up. I'm like, oh, my cousin Jason loves this guy. I know exactly who you're talking about. And so I went up to, you know, her house with her parents and all that, and they're like, yeah, we know him. I'm like, yeah, okay. Guy walks in. They're like best friends, the families are. And so at that time, I was like, oh, okay, well, let me keep an eye on, on this sport. And so, you know, whenever we go up there, this was right around the time he was about to fight Gracie, that Hoist Gracie. Oh, I, I, I lost a 30-pack of beer to my uncle in oh, that fight. And we were all in that. But we that's how I got into the sport was watching Matt, and then Chuck was on at the time. We're yep. talking about Mike Swick and, yep, and that, that first – it was like the first generation after sanction. Sh- shout out to Mike Swick, man. I hope you uh, – uh, get better, man. The Swickatine. Yeah. And uh, so I always had it in my mind, like, after school, I want to, you know, I wanted to try this, you know. And so I graduated college, got what, my what first. What did you graduate college in? What'd so you it was going to be uh, secondary ed with social sciences. And so at the time, and this can be a kind of a long story, but I'll try and make it short, is before the Affordable Care Act was passed, there was a limit on the age you were at where you could be on your parents' health insurance. 25 or 26? It was 23 at the 20, time. Oh, 23? And I was misdiagnosed with something called Crohn's disease. Yeah. And I had to be on this medicine that was like, at the time, was like every two months, and it was eight grand. I could not afford to go without huh. insurance. Because God, if you went dude. without insurance in that gap, you couldn't find it because you had a pre-existing condition. Eight grand. So I had to cut the portion where I was going to go into school and teach out and I had to just graduate with history and political science major because I had to find a job with health insurance so I could stay on it. Because if I had any gap in there, right. I wouldn't find it. See, any. I don't. I mean to cut you off, and uh, I wouldn't plan on this conversation, but I, I enjoy these conversations. And please chime in on this. Uh, I, I don't know what the answer in healthcare is. I don't think uh, that's fucked up though. That if you dr- if your insurance drops you or you have, there's a lapse in your insurance, I can't get another insurance because I'm fucking. I have a pre-existing injury or condition or whatever. Like, how is that fucking fair or, or it? how is that okay? Fuck fair. How is that okay is more the answer I have, the question I have for that. It's a for-profit. That's why, because it, they don't, they're going to lose money on you. But you, there has to be a way to do both. Like, you can have, you can make money and still help out fucking certain people. Because, and it doesn't, I don't know if, uh, so like socialized healthcare is the the exact way to go. You always need to have a balance of something. But anytime an issue like that happens, and Canada has them same issues, and England has the same type of maybe not something that like that, but they have similar things where people are supposed to get healthcare or whatever, and for some reason they don't qualify, or the doctor said no and shit like that. So it's not just the capitalist versus the socialist. But it doesn't make sense to me that uh you can go broke in the United States from being sick. Yeah, I mean I was in debt for a long time with medical bills. I mean, I've, that's, inst- I mean, 
That's I had the, an internal bleed issue I had to have resolved, and I was in a hospital for a weekend, and you know I was up to sixteen grand in medical debt that I paid off for years. Sixteen grand, and you paid it off too. <laughs> you're like one of them, you're a good stand up guy, uh, and I say that too because a lot of motherfuckers uh, are like, I'm not paying that, and <laughs> send a twenty five dollar check. Well, I didn't yeah. really have a choice because once the ability you're to a late, hit on your credit, you're a little later in life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like. See, I'm old enough to. I have I have friends and people I know that uh, it didn't. It was before they had fucking that shit went to your credit and it used to fall off after seven years mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that's why. See, when you're old guys, they're, they're, you, you remember other things. That's why I say that. So now it does go on your credit. Yep. And then actually, so that big boy job I got where I, oh man, I hated my life. I was like on antidepressants to even be there. So training was what kind of pulled me out of that. And that's the first thing that was like, you know, I almost had dual personalities. Like, here's my day job. Oh, yeah. And then I'll put my, you know, my good boy face on. And, <laughs> and but I can't stand. Uh, it was working at Cigna in healthcare. Cigna, okay. And I got to tell you, there were some miserable the people irony. in there. Because they would count how many times, like, think of this. 23-year-old educated kid comes in with a bunch of middle-aged women in their office. You know, I had another guy around my age. And then three months in, I do so well, I get promoted. They hated me. Oh, I would imagine To the so. point where they'd be counting how many times I'd go take a piss. Were, were you single? At the time, yeah. Oh. Mm. You know what I'd have done? <laughs> I know. <exactly. laughs> a oh, bunch no. of middle-aged women? Oh, no, 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 no. Not, not the type you want to. <laughs> but I mean, a blowjob in the parking lot a blowjob in the parking lot. Oh. <laughs> On your lunch hour? <laughs> they were too busy going to McDonald's, man. No, I feel you. I feel you, man. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, even going back to healthcare then. So, they sent our job offshore. And I knew it was coming. And nobody wanted to listen to me. And to go into working at that place is a whole other story. But so right as that happened, I had two hernias blow out and I had uh, that internal bleed. So I'm sitting here again. Job went offshore, no insurance and I need surgery like this ain't something I can just wait on. So that was another little little nugget to what you were talking about there. So, I mean, I paid that down, too. And luckily, sometimes if you talk with the office they'll work with you a bit but the anesthesiologist never will they're like fuck you where's my money yeah see people don't realize that either and it is something that you can do because i mean i've read all kinds of stuff about it that uh you can negotiate with the doc because and that's another thing too one of the issues with there's no there's no set price for anything as when it comes to hospital in, in the united states like you can't even find out what that price is beforehand you have to get a bill for it in the mail it says we charged you this go ahead and pay that off right there but they do. That's why there is the opportunity to negotiate with them and stuff, and get your price knocked down a little bit. Uh, I don't. I don't know why people aren't more aware of that. I know with today's with technology today, you can Google anything or YouTube anything and find that stuff. Because I believe that's where I learned it at. Yeah, I didn't find that out until later. But I mean, you're a kid. It's like I was 17 years old when I graduated high school. Oh, and they, I'm they talking told about me. today though. Yeah. Like, because you can Google anything. Well, back then when all this happened, I would consider myself a kid. I didn't. I didn't right. even know like. You know, some older people told me later, but it's like it's like school loans. I was 17 years old when I graduated high school, and they're like, "Hey, you got to go to school." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll do that. I'm just gonna follow this path you say that I need to do. I'm not gonna knock anyone up. I'm not gonna get in, I'm not gonna be put in jail. I'm gonna stay out of trouble. I'm gonna put my head down and work through this." And I did, and they're like, "Well, here's your bill." Yeah, and I can't, I'm not. I, I'm not joking. I was 18 years old when I filed for it, and they go, "You'll pay $50 a month." And the first bill I got was like 400. I'm like, of course. Um, yeah, yeah they, I, those can't things you, rack I can't give you a loan to fast. start a business at all, but, oh, to go to school? to yeah, It's like trying to get credit. Yeah, I can do that for sure. Can't I know get credit. people that have been paying on theirs for years, How do you, and Josh? they've only made a small dent in it. I'm a man. I'm 40. Josh is 40. Are, are we done yet? Nope. I'm still paying them <laughs> off. That was with the GI Bill. That was with man. the GI Bill. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's benefit to it. 
that's that's such a huge drawback to uh and it's not for everybody either and uh i tell my kids if you're gonna go to college uh you better fucking make sure that you're spending the money wisely though too that the job you're getting from that degree is something that's going to pay off at the end of it uh, I, I was never told anything. I was told the same thing you were told. You got to go to college. If you don't go to college, your life's going to suck and you're going to be working at wherever that you're going to be poor is basically how the, the message was sent to me. It's not the true story either. You can make a really good living without going to college uh, and not having debt, but you're going to work your ass off for it. Well, and they didn't even talk to us really about trades. There was a trade uh, part of the school where you know kids would come in, the vocational center. But it was basically, in that time, I graduated in 2004, it's, you know, if you don't go to college, you're basically a loser is what they said. All the people yes, I know that went that, to trades, they were too. good, hardworking people, and they seemed to be doing well. Everybody's but, looking down. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is, you know, even from 18 to 21 to 25 to 30 to 33, you're a different person almost every three years. So how do you right. know at 18 or even 22 what the hell you're going to do? I can tell you what I don't want to do with the rest of my life at this point. That's about it, though. But how do you find a narrow spot? And I mean, it's like hitting the bullseye. You just get lucky there. Now, a college degree, if you're good at math and anything like that or science, like if you're really good at it, you can just get those general degrees and make something happen out of it. But the arts... He wasn't looking at me, guys, when he said if you're good at math and science. Hell, and you may be. And want to go to college. He looked, nope. <laughs> he looked over across the room. He was like, no, nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, nah, school, uh, it's, it's just not, and it's also not, the setting isn't for everybody either. Uh, like creativity, like you said, working, that, working at that place you worked at, uh, everybody was miserable. I think those jobs, like, for the, I couldn't work at that place because there's no freedom to be creative in what I do with my day to day. It's pretty, like, mundane this is how your job is supposed to go. Uh, is there a lot of freedom at a place like that to do things your own way or to do things a different, a certain way or like in, in that company? Yeah. Or in, any, uh, in, in that, in that industry. So what they hired me to do is to analyze their processes to make them a little bit better because they were going through a merger. Oh, I like that. And so, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, I like that. And so when I'm looking at it, you know, I'm telling them things that can make it, but you know, they're a bunch of women. So they're acting like I'm nitpicking at them. I'm like, no, 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 this is the system. This is how it worked. And so we had, more like the pieces of work we had to did were very investigative. We had to dig deep and go around them. And so they wanted quotas and like four an hour was the quota. And I remember the first, and remember I'm new to this mm -hmm. and I, I'm just a kid. But so you know I'm, what, I'm working off what I think is, you know, justifiable. So I remember sitting in my first review and my manager was like, Oh yeah. So you're doing really well. You're, you're getting like six and a half pieces of work done in an hour. Uh, <laughs> four is the quota. She's doing real good. And then the bonuses came out, and her friends got it. And so I'm like, wait, I'm doing their work because I'm doing more than mine. Like, I should be the one getting rewarded, even though I'm new here. And so the next time, <laughs> and this is what changed me and her's relationship for the rest of that duration, is, okay, I'm not going to be incentivized. I'm going to do your friend's work, and they're going to get paid. So I, I did four. And she's like, well, your production's down. I go, well, am I making quota? She's like, yeah, you're, you're getting four an hour. So what happened? And I said, well, what happened was I didn't get paid for doing the extra work. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, no, like, why would I do Martha's work and everybody else's work and, and her, Kelly's work? Was and, her name really Martha? Yeah. No, <laughs> thank God. I love it. That's, and, that's uh, the most cubicle name in the history of me. And I'm sitting here, and she looked at me like I was nuts. And I'm like, why am I going to work harder for the same amount? Like, like I was busting my ass to prove to you right. that so I could, you know, get a little bit more. And then I'm like, this must be how this works, man, because there's politics and everything now. And I, that was the lesson when I was a kid. I thought, you know. You you work it, you prove it, and that's what they told me. There, there there's definitely politics to it, but uh, I, I, I it, 
I don't. I can't speak for the white collar industry because I've never been a part of that. Uh, I do blue collar work, but I went in there and I fucked off for the first two years or whatever and didn't care about my job. And then one day, something switched, a flip, flip switched or whatever, a switch flipped, and I was just like, man, these people are my competition. I don't fucking care. So I'm gonna. This is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna eat these motherfuckers lunch. They ain't got no fucking no clue what's coming. And I did that, man. And at one point in time. Uh, I was the only one that knew how to build clear spans. It's a new style of tent and stuff. And nine people made more money than me. I didn't stop. I didn't care because I knew where the fuck I was, where I was going in life. I knew where my goal was and where I was headed. And I just kept grinding and grinding. And motherfuckers that were my boss at that time, I'm now in charge of and shit. It's different in, because, and I was an asshole along the way. You, you pretty much have a <laughs> good guess of that. But uh, I, I didn't let, I always thought my work would speak for itself. That no matter what I fucking, how I rub people the wrong way, as long as I never did anything wrong or was doing shit I wasn't supposed to at work, as long as I kept doing my fucking job and doing it to the best of my ability and fucking grinding, that it would pay off. And it eventually did. Uh, but I never, I, and that's so why I say I don't I can't speak to the white collar world. In the blue collar industry, I, I truly believe that your work will finally re, uh, come through one day. Because at the end of the day, it's, everything's for profit. And they're not going to keep their friend or pay their friend when they own. And I also worked for a, a private owner, a small business. So when like some corporation and stuff. So everybody who was in charge of money, it really mattered to them where their money went to and shit. So I was, I guess I was fortunate in that way, I guess. Maybe it's not like that in every place you go. Yeah. Well, in retrospect, the, the corporate world, I would say it's more now looking back at it, more about networking. Yeah. More who you know. I mean, you don't have to be the best at it. You just got to be the smoothest at it. Like and the nepotism in there, it's crazy like the yeah. manager's daughter was showing up with a job all of a sudden and i'm like what does she do during this she graduated high school you know she, 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 uh, that, so, that, that guy's daughter that, but, that's insane but you know all those uncontrollable things like school debt my health uh whenever i was having those issues and working there that's what martial arts gave me at night was it was an escape it was like i don't have to worry about any of that shit when i walk in this door i can get all this anger out in a healthy way these guys are my friends and i'm investing in myself because the I have to stay really on the ball to keep positive sometimes because I can get pretty low and I know that about myself. So there's, you know, certain substances like I don't drink hardly at all because it makes me dwell on like negativity. So I work real hard on staying positive and that's what this did for me too. I'm like, here's another outlet I can do that actually fills me up. It's not exhausting me to the point where I will go any lower. You get to think about choking Martha's fat ass out too. <laughs> I think that people like you are some of the most intelligent people in the world. Because if you know what your, your pitfalls are or your setbacks are going to be and you can avoid them, uh, it goes back to that Mike Tyson uh, comment, uh, you're nothing without discipline in this world. You're never going to be nothing if you don't have discipline. It just Because without discipline, you're nothing. I, no, nobody laughed. I thought it was a good Mike Tyson impression, but <laughs> I, did, I didn't get a laugh from nobody. <laughs> I was letting you finish. No, I thought it was pretty good. But Because uh, uh, it, it takes discipline and to do stuff like that. So I, that's, how many injuries have you had? Uh, total, man. I and I'm talking like a while. the Crohn's, everything like that. Uh, I had back surgery. I've had shoulder surgery. I had an extra tooth in my mouth where I had to cut the base of the nose off when <laughs> I was in fourth grade. That was removed. I've had vision correction surgery. Oh, I've I'm jealous. Had bilateral inguinal hernia surgeries. Um, Damn. I've been, and you just and, and, then and when and I was misdiagnosed with Crohn's, I was up at mayo clinic and i went through it and that place was legit you'd show up they give you a patient number and then you basically have a schedule of these tests it's not oh well we'll call you in two weeks right. and you come up 
that was legit. And then uh, basically I had an internal bleed that was fixed and then all those problems went away because um, it was interesting. It was kind of going on. It was after I lost my first sandwich. It was actually against Bo. And after that was over, this had nothing to do with the result of the fight. I, I rushed a position and I just wasn't as experienced as him and he just won that one. But I could barely stand up. And I'm like, something's off here. And then I was pissed and I went to the gym the next day and started moving. A couple weeks in, like the room would start spinning. I get lightheaded. And so I went and got my blood work done. So hemoglobin is the part of your blood that keeps the red blood cells, carries oxygen. Normal range for an individual is 13 to 17 on their little scale. So I go and I get my blood work done and I'm getting up going, ready to go to work the next day. And they call me and they're like, you need to come now to the hospital. I'm like, what do you mean? They go, your levels of 4.6. We don't know how you're even walking around. And I was like, oh, well, that would explain all the migraines and all this stuff. And so Probably, yeah. I sat the entire weekend <laughs> getting blood put in me with hemoglobin. And I didn't sleep much because I was actually having energy. I was actually changing colors. Like, I'm pasty white as it is. But, like, <laughs> I was changing to, like, a red color. And I was so full of energy. Uh, I'm sitting here watching John Wayne movies in the hospital overnight because I just can't go to sleep. And so when it comes to Sunday, when I'm leaving, they got my level up to about 10. So there was still stuff to work on to get it to 15. And I'm like, so I can go to the gym. And they're like, yeah, we don't see why not. And so I show up Monday and, and Steve's ready to have this like hellacious workout. We're like, we're banded and running sprints and all this stuff. And we start doing it. I'm not even breathing heavy. And I'm like, oh. Oh, it's a game changer. I'm like, this is how it's supposed to feel. Because I'm sitting there having these conversations. Right. Like, I'm not built for this, man. I, I can't. You know, everything else I've ever done, I, I could push through and I could force it. And there was something off. And I'm like, that gave me a lot of hope with it. And then after that, I went on, what, like seven fight winning streak? Yeah. Because I, I was aware of the issue and I knew how to deal with it. Hey, uh, think whatever you want to think about Steve Nog. That dude was an old man that got, was in fucking great shape. He knew what he was doing for sure. Uh, <laughs> Bo fought him too. Uh, how, how, how old is he? Right now. Right now? Well, he was 48 when they fought. Yes. Because he was telling me at the gym, he's like, I don't know why all these national media guys are getting a hold of me. I'm like, Steve, you're 48. 48 years old. Yeah. God damn. Natural, too. He was in great shape. Natural. He was in great shape. Uh, So at any point in time, were you ever like, want to give up, quit, throw in the towel? That's a lot of setbacks, man. And uh, you you seem to be a very fucking positive person, and I'm going to go do this. But at some point, I would think, maybe not, that it weighs on you a little bit. I, I just wanted to keep putting in the work. And if the opportunity came, it would it would come. Hey, guys, this is Danny here. I just want to take a second to tell you about Halsey Roofing and the great people there. Uh, Matt, the president, uh, I know on a personal level, I'm good friends with him. We go to the fights. Uh, he brings his crew to the fights, man. We sit and talk and you interact with them. You can really tell that they care about uh, the quality of their work as well as their clients. Uh, so if you need new siding, if you need repairs, roof, gutters, whatever you need, man, give the great people at Halsey Roofing a call. Hey, guys, our friends at Endzone Sports are back at it again with another exciting eight-week session of flag football and cheerleading for kids ages 5 to 14. Games we played every Saturday, making it convenient to invite the whole family and plan your Saturday around. Bring out grandma, grandpa, aunts, and uncles. Games we played at uh, 5508. Telegraph Road, right across the street from Schnucks. So if your child is interested in playing flag football or cheerleading and is ages 5 to 14, sign up today at endzonesports.com backslash gateway. That's endzonesports, 
com backslash gateway or you can call area director michael thompson at 314-320-7591 and if you need help playing for paying for youth sports registration fees contact everykidsports.org that's everykidsports.org where every child plays reach out and sign up today for flag football and cheerleading at endzonesports.com backslash gateway now back to jordan and the guys squared up. Before we get on to squared up, though, my kid had brought up uh, a question uh, who's actually here to play fact checker today, and we didn't even get into no fact checking. We but will. He wanted to ask you, uh, or have me ask you, because I don't let him on the mic yet. Uh, what was the experience like for and for you going with Sean to the UFC and stuff like that? I mean, it was really kind of life-changing. You know, in, in my vision, I had always thought, you know, I would be getting to that level, and I'm getting to the age where it's probably not going to happen. And you know, there's an acceptance that has to come with that. But also, I'm down for anybody that works hard getting the opportunity. And I, if I can help, I'll help. It, and that's how that all kind of started. And whenever he was brought on for the Contender Series on short notice, he called me at work and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, um, oh, you know, I'm at work. I'm like, what's up? He's like, well, and I knew something was up because he don't usually call me like that. And he's like, do you think you could go out to Vegas next week because we can we can jump in on this fight? And I said, okay, okay. Well, that's a shot you have to take for sure. And uh, what's your weight at? And he he told me a little bit less than what he actually was at the time. And so <laughs> wishful thinking. So yeah. we were going there with the mindset, and Sean's mind is what you know. He's very skillful, and he's I mean he's so good in a lot of different ways. But his mind is his sharpest tool because he's going to believe his way into this happening and. He, whenever this all came about, I'm like, okay, let's go out there because the biggest issue is going to be weight. You know, he, he wasn't in complete fight shape like the guy that was training for this fight was. But with all the stuff I've done with cutting weight and all that, he, he trusted me to help him with that. So, you know, we get out there, we land out there. And the mindset when we got out there is, you know, let's make weight. And then we're going to go out and we're just going to, we're going to put what we have into this. And even if for some reason you come up short on short notice, they're going to have us back because we're going to go out there. We're going to make weight. We're going to be professionals. We're going to show them, you know, even on short notice, you can call us and we're going to bring a fight. So he was higher than he needed to be that time, but we went out there. And so he's going around getting all these medicals done and we have access to the PIs for COVID. So we were going there quite often and he was hit mitts and, and he had to spend a lot of time on the treadmill and stuff like that just to try and get the weight down. And they had all the food planned out for him. It was complete first class experience. And it was all about, you know, making sure he was sleeping, hydrating, everything had to be done to a T and cutting they, the weight. They help with all that? Uh, they do more so now, especially with the rehydration and all that, uh, they will actually give you the food too. the the PI will it's in Vegas. They do in other places. They do too. So, what's the, what's the PI? So performance Institute. Okay. So they were starting to do this at the time, but now they'll show up. They'll check your weight because they want fighters to make weight and they will actually make the food for you based on that. And they'll give you supplements like to put magnesium in your water that can kind of help flush extra water God out. Damn, that is top flight. And, and so when everybody talks about, you know, fighters being underpaid in the UFC, there is an aspect to that, but, Sean will tell you there's a lot more to just that. Why you got to go there? Why you got to go there? Because, well. Because I want to. So. Go ahead. Go ahead. But, I mean, I can see both sides of it because being out there, and a lot of it's in how you market yourself, but they handle so much of that stuff because the food is there. The Whenever you're off the scale, they're going to hand you your electrolytes, and you get you want to go to the PI and get worked on, so we're going to work on you for free. But 
there's a lot of different amenities out there, especially if you're fighting in Vegas and their their home base that really work out for you. And so we had access to the PI and all that weight cutting, and we were making him sweat throughout the week as he was still hydrating. He just barely made weight, just barely. And I remember it was a rough night, and his kidneys were starting – his back was starting to bother him. He, yeah, he, yeah, he didn't know this at the time. He knows it now. But he's like, yeah, man, my back's hurting. And in my brain, I'm like, fuck. His kidneys. And so uh, he had a little bit of fluid. And, you know, we pushed a little bit more in the morning. But luckily, we had morning weigh-ins. So he goes down, he makes weight. And as soon as he made weight, oh, it's man, on. he was like something lit up in him. Because a piece of your soul almost has to leave your body to make weight. Like, it's depressing. It messes with your hormones. You're like there's Every aspect of your life. Yeah. It's like your, yeah, your chemicals in your brain aren't even firing When right. you're cutting you major weight depressed. like that, for sure, man. Uh, I remember cutting... Uh, I fuck I, I forget what I was actually. I cut 12 and a half pounds, 13 pounds in the sauna, and the motherfucker didn't show up. Beat his ass for that. I was in the best shape I was ever in, too, man. I left. I weighed in at 184 and a half and left my house at 207 <laughs> the next day and shit. I was fucking fit on top of the world, and then I get there, and he didn't show up. That's the so, first. Yeah, but I, when that, that work is over, it's go. It, it, now, yeah. now, it's time for, now it's time to eat. And so they gave us... Figuratively they gave us a room to stay in. And, and so I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? He's uh, all he's got to do now is hydrate up and sleep. So I, I'm like, I'm just going to go get my, I, I went down there. I'm like, can you get me a room for a night? So I let him and Janan have the room and the space to themselves, watch movies, chill. Because honestly, he didn't know this, but at the time, whenever he was going to sleep and chilling, I was leaving. I was walking to go get, you know. Uh, they had this place that had awesome fish tacos down the road, but it was like my escape from that because I, I wore a lot of stress going in that week. Like, man, we got to do this, but I didn't ever show it to him. Like to get here, this is a big deal. Like I said, it was his moment, but it was stressful on me too to make sure that we got him on weight because there was things I had to put him through that necessarily weren't fun to watch that. And that's my friend, you know, and, and I knew that's what we had to do, but you know, I had to decompress too. And when I got that second room and left him alone, that next day he woke up and he was like, I feel great. I feel great. And so warming up in the back, we, we knew we had to make sure not to warm up too much because he wasn't technically in a fight camp and you don't, you got to find that, like that perfect balance range of it. And so we were grappling a little bit and then he would say, okay, let's chill. Let's chill. So that first round, when you watch that contender series fight, he's managing energy. And as soon, and, and what a lot of people don't realize is that jab he throws it sets everything else up, and it's like a gunshot because it'll it'll rock you. Like you see Terrence's head go off. You mean that through. you mean that jab from across the cage? Yeah, that go go gadget jab. <laughs> and what's crazy about it? He'll play that range. He'll throw it here, and then he'll he'll turn his hip and his shoulder more, and he'll get five more inches on that range. But the jab set up that knee. If you go back and watch it, uh, whenever he first gets up and he's like going at him, he does this little head fake that Terrence tries to shoot under. And as soon as Terrence shoots under it, that's when the knee came. Yeah. But the jab set up that entire series. I don't think people realize too well. I'm gonna, two things I have to say. How much fighters actually set are setting shit up to happen. It's not just a reaction to things and shit like that. Like, he knew what, what one move was going to elicit the reaction of, the, and, and he was going to counter that with the knee and stuff like that. That's why I tell people, man, fighters are so intelligent. We had Matt Owen on the show originally. Yeah, I listened to that one. I that to fucking Matt guy. Uh, he's... I don't know that I've ever met somebody that knows more about their job completely as him. And if you're one of his uh, people that train under him, he's all about you. He's all in on you. 
you're on his team, you're his athlete, he will cater to whatever he needs to do for you, whether it's, you know, people trying to power lift or fighters. And, and what I really enjoy about Matt that a lot of people in that industry don't have is like you can bring stuff to them that you've seen and they don't take it as an insult. Like, oh, you don't think I know what I'm doing? I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. And then he'll be like, oh, that is kind of cool. And he'll look at it and he actually reached out to Phil Daru, who was the strength conditioning coach at American Top Team. And yeah. he's gone off to do his own things. Because a lot of those guys in those industries, they're, they're kind of ego. They got a lot of ego and they won't change things because they view it as an attack on what they know. And Matt's just like all about the result because Matt will take that information and then he'll own it. And now it's in his repertoire. Hey, if you guys uh, get a chance, man, go back and listen to that episode and you'll understand exactly what uh, Jordan's talking about and what I've said. Uh, Matt really knows his, his stuff, but he's always trying to add to it. And he's always he, he even talked about who he looks up to and who he reads and he, anything that can be of use. He, he tries to implement going forward. What is that? <clears throat> Project Deliverance, yes. I believe, is the name of the gym. Uh, go check that dude out, man. He's fantastic. Uh, I had one more question before we got into Squared Up. Do you have something? I'm trying to scramble my brain real quick. About being at home, doing it here at home. We're uh, talking about mom. He was uh, – uh, uh, I, I didn't know Sean had uh, actually trained this moved out there when I asked him the question or when I said the statement I just said to you. I was just saying, in general – and uh, he, I thought he had cross-trained out there. I didn't really realize that he had w- went and moved his camp out there and everything. And I wasn't really – I'm talking like uh, just Dustin Boyer. Even though it paid off for him, he fought under – he trained under uh, Crater, Tim Crater, for a long, the longest time. And once he got to the big time, he got to the UFC, he decided, I need, to, I, can, I need to go somewhere else to get better training. I disagree with that wholeheartedly because, like you just said, all these gyms with these big names and these big athletes – they have fights and coaches that are gone all the time. It's less one-on-one. It's left that. It's less that comfortability, too. It's more that network, though, because when you get in one of those big gyms and you get in one of those big managers, and the managers are the ones that open the door for you to get in. But the good thing is, I mean, it was worth looking at for Sean to go uh, right, Because he was spending month, like a month time out there. Like So he'd be out there four weeks. Or he, he wasn't living out there. He was just going out there right. and the training. And, but... You know, that was something he needed to see because that answered that question. And that, then he came that's what home. he said, too. He came home, and, I mean, like the amount of work he's been able to put in and just what he's done even since last year with the Julian fight, he he is so much better. And some and people are going to see it. I mean, he, he catches me in submissions now that he never used to. And it's just like the other day whenever we were grappling, he's having to be careful with his hand. But there's a certain feel that grapplers have. He didn't used to have that. There'd be more space and all that. Yeah. But in yes. the sparring round, you know, I tried to do something cute where I shot under and tried to trick him with a single leg. And he just kind of sprawled on me. And the weight he put on me, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, man, this guy's been putting in the work here because he had that, that grappler's feel that he didn't used to have. And it's going to be exciting when someone has to bring that out of him and he's going to show them what they got. And then Matt Owens got him uh, on that routine, too. He looked, he looked way more toned and cut in his last fight. It was the biggest I had ever seen him at that weight, uh, and he looked man, he looked good and healthy. And you, I, I don't know if it helped. It has to help some with the punching power and stuff. But that jab he threw right off the bat, old boy was ready to fold that in. And he was like, "Yeah, I, th- I, this isn't who I thought I was getting into it with." Uh, Matt Owens, awesome. Uh, so what's next for you in uh, in sport right here? Well, right now, what's up next is there was a, a show in April for NFA. Still is a show in April. But there was, I was looking at that, but I'm to the point where I'm just going to do something if it sounds interesting, fun. I'm not going to force anything. I'm almost 36 years old. There's there's some stuff I would like to still get done. I don't really have any interest in fighting, you know, some 23-year-old phenom that's 6-0 and out of, you know, I almost just want to do it if it's fun and interesting because 
there is, I mean, I feel like I've proved myself, you know, like it oh. didn't go all the way I wanted to go, but I don't like, there's not before when I started, I did this because, you know, like I said, you know, my back, all this stuff tried to take me away and I was going to prove myself like, and, and even in the sports I was in, in high school and all that, there was politics and it was team sports. So I didn't get the chance I should have got, even though I was out working a lot of these guys. And so I'm like the whole time it was like just to prove myself. And I actually saw a sports psychologist last year about this because I had something come up. I had a a lot of th- bad things kind of happen in one one swoop that kind of messed with me. Uh, I had one of my best friends just all of a sudden. I hadn't seen him in a while, and I'm on my way to sparring, and my brother sends me a link to an article for his funeral, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Uh, so, and we didn't know, and my people that they were all playing online, we didn't know. Uh, my dog I had his kid was put down our family house I had to get moved out of and you know and then I was that's a lot you know I was winning a fight like all of it until the last 22 seconds of it got hit with a Hail Mary kick and so I had all these things kind of like stifling me and I had to work Wait, which them. one of those is enough to have all that at one I, I'm sorry to hear all of that that is it's a lot for a person to take it to happen in uh, a brief period of time in their life so you know and, and I thought I thought fighting would fix that. So I, you know, even after that fight didn't go my way, um, you know, COVID happened and all this crap. And then my last fight on NFA was February of last year. What's the date today? It might even be a year from now. Today's the 20th. 19th. 19th. It was the 20th last year. It's funny. Uh, so during COVID, there wasn't many people willing to take fights. So they, they sent me a list. And I said, well, just give me the best guy on that list. And by all means, I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't the most, it wasn't the most difficult fight. It wasn't going to be. I know that. The, but, the, um, but the weird thing that happened was the stress response I had to it that week, I was freaking out, like had a hard time sleeping, all this stuff. And I'm like, it had to have been from, you know, getting knocked out the last time. This must be normal. So I go out there. I make the walk. I win the fight fairly easily. You know, it was the rear most, neck and choke. Yeah, it was the most. Actually, that was a neck crank. Yeah, it was a neck crank. We ju- we literally just watched and, it uh, before you got here. And. I remember thinking this will solve it. You know, I just had to face that fear again. I had to make that walk. Didn't solve it. And so when something came up in September, when LFA was coming to town, there was something on short notice and I was ready to go. And they got me this thing. And I had this, like I had that same response hit me and I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm like, this is new. Like I already, I faced this fear already. Why is this still here? And so I went and uh, had to talk to this sports psychologist and he was telling me, well, he does a lot of psychology. But I knew I had to get past that if I was ever going to get past that plateau because there was something holding me back there. And he was trying to tell me because I filled out this little paperwork and I sat there and I talked to him. I'm like, look, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like a pansy sitting here in front of you because of all this. Whenever your questionnaire asks questions like, have you been raped? Were you abused as a kid? I'm like, man, I, you know, by all accounts, I've, uh, my family has been great to me. Uh, I'm just dealing with this. He goes, well, trauma is trauma. He yes. goes, there's like there's there's big T trauma. There's little T trauma. And so we went over everything and he had me like look back to like go through all my history. And it turns out one of the first times I ever felt like I had to prove myself was from a sixth grade junior Olympics meet (laughs) because that day they changed everything we were practicing and I had to catch the relay race and we were the fastest by far with my left hand. I'm not left-handed. Like now I could catch a left hand and I'm like, you know, both sides of my brain work and fighting both leads. And so when they held off that baton to me, they held on to it too long and it dropped. We ended up losing. And I was like, fuck. So from there on out, I felt like I had to prove myself by outworking everybody. That was one of the things. But 
basically it was like it's basically a pipeline to your brain all these little things and at a certain point if it clogs up then you don't respond correctly because your brain isn't filed it away it's at the forefront of your emotional part of your brain and so he we had some conversations and all this and then he had put me through this thing called emdr and what it was it turns out it's this technique where like you you basically have to go through all this stuff they ask you questions and you're kind of moving your eyes so your brain tracks in different ways but my friend dying without me knowing caused such a, a backlog of unresolved issues in my brain and when when it got to that point i was bawling because i felt so guilty because i'm sitting here like my friend you know i didn't know he was going through that he didn't tell us he didn't reach out and that's kind of what men do but he was in cincinnati working you know COVID hit he was out of his job he was working at home depot and he had some health issues. He actually trained at the Wolves Den. He was there before he moved out. And I'm just sitting here the whole time, like, if you would have told me, I would have gotten in my car and got you and brought you here. Like, I don't care what you got to do. We'd have found a bed for you. We would have figured this out. What do we got to do? And the fact that I didn't know that was going on, I felt tremendous guilt about. And it was holding me back in many areas in my life, especially that. And once that got out of me, and I was able to process that. Then I felt like I was able to come back. And then training was fun again. It's uh, training like anything. It, it's it's a mask. It's what we, we, we use it to sports in general, period, for the most part. But whatever your vice is, if it's playing a guitar, you use it to get away from issues and stuff. It doesn't take care of them, though. It doesn't get rid of them. Uh, if anybody out there is struggling with mental health and uh, needs to talk to somebody, uh, you, 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 if you're the person with the issue, you got to reach out and you have to talk to somebody. If you, I, I never understand because I've lost friends to suicide and I never understood how you think your life, no one cared enough or you were so important that you, or you weren't at, you weren't important to no one enough that you needed to be here, that your loss was going to be like, it's very, I think it's almost selfish because the people you leave behind are the ones that have to deal with those issues. Uh, if you're not going to do it for you, do it for them. Reach out to somebody, talk to somebody, call a hotline, call your friend, call me, whatever you, whatever you need to do to get through this time. Because it, what you leave to other people is, a, is something you shouldn't do to people you care about. Uh, so when people say, I'm at my lowest moment and I didn't care about myself, care about somebody else then. Because the people you leave behind, it does bad things to them. I don't want to keep harping on that. Uh, well, and a lot of times there's other like I wouldn't have had a clue that that was my it was my friend causing all of that. Obviously, it was very sad. He was gone. And it made a lot of sense when I look back to that last fight because I'm sitting there, you know, after training in the shower, I'd be showering. And, and you know, post training, like if you have like these conversations with your friends and all that, they're a little more raw because, you know, that that first layer of defense is down because you're tired. And I'd be in the shower and I'd be like thinking, you know, by now I would have heard from Paul. He would send me a message about the fight or something like that and you know i would get really sad about it and I, I just would be thinking about him you know especially when i was working that hard and then whenever uh the fight would come i'm like i was kind of emotional about it because he would show up to fights and not tell me he would he would surprise me and i would at least know something network you have more pathways there that should be something that would be more along the lines of what I would consider should be free. Not like, hey, I want four years for free because I want to go and have a sociology major. I think higher education, offering some sort of higher education for free should be available. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what that actual extent is and belief is, but some sort of uh, you can go after school or after high school and learn more. For 
uh, on for relatively cheap or next to nothing. It, it needs to be cheap. Well, and it should be emphasized or, as like a good. Like some people when they get out of high school, like when I graduate, everybody's like, "Oh, I can't wait to be out of high school." I'm like, "Really? Do you know what the fuck's out there? You know what the fuck's out there, right?" You know, you don't. Okay, it's, this is the easiest part of your life right here, guys, and you're wishing it away because this is like... An it's, ex- it's not in that moment, though. No. That, that's why everything is relative because in those fucking moments, like, maybe you had... I don't know. I, I remember, like, fucking... High school was awesome, but, like, junior high, I mean, I was, like, very not as sure of myself. Uh, no, that wasn't a cool time in my life. Fuck that. Dude, I, I needed that four years in the Marine Corps. But those, If I didn't have it, what would I have done? Is yeah, animal what? testing ever justified? Oh, we can keep it moving. He had a point. Is animal testing never justified? Uh, like you said, it's relative. It depends on what they're doing. Like, so it is. It it is at some point. At some point, but you got to really draw a line on it. Like, don't be don't be doing it to puppies. Yeah, I would prefer it to be against like something that has a short lifespan that doesn't really have a consciousness that's above you know knowing what the hell's happening to them. Uh, on a side thing, I've almost believed it, and this is gonna sound fucking weird. Almost everything in, in, on the planet has a consciousness that we just don't, we're unable to communicate with on their frequency or their level. Oh, I agree. I, I believe the fucking planet's alive. I believe that fucking everything knows that what it, like, yeah, because they're finding out now, like, I believe it was protons or neutrons. Hippie. That yes, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and I, I just, I just started this belief and it's because they were, they, somehow they figured out whatever the fuck it was, knows when it's being watched and behaves differently and it was like microscopic fucking it might have even been atoms something about the atoms like once they knew they were watched they they moved in a, a different way than fucking when they didn't to to have something like that happen makes me believe that everything has that in some sense on some level yeah. yes i don't disagree with that yeah but at some point we also have to look out for humanity and you have to draw a line i it's that's a tough question because oh, I no, don't think I, it's black and white. I'm sna- I'm I go go get a dog. I don't care. I'm not doing it. But if you if you're gonna do it and make it better, go ahead, knock yourself out. Yeah, if, something's if it, gonna help cure if it, if ALS. It can make society, I'm never doing that shit. Gonna help deal I, can, I don't even go hunting. I can't hunt because I can't kill shit. But if what you're doing is helping us, I'm down for it. Why is it important for uh, people on both sides of the political party to talk to each other, or do you feel it is important? For sure, it's important. Why? Because because as as people we generally agree on a, a number of things and the fact that we have so many arguments so many issues over <laughs> something as simple as like i you don't like abortion i like abortion now we can't ever talk again at that point you've drawn you've drawn a line in the sand what what progression can you make at some point enough is enough like you have to erase eradicate some of these lines well, and that's where social media has taken us. But yeah, you have to have dialogue with the others or dialogue with the other side. The problem is there is a lot of common ground there, but everybody wants to get on their team. This is what my team subscribes to. We don't believe in this. We don't believe in masks. This team don't believe in vaccine. This believe this team don't believe in mandates. But then we're going to mandate what your school can have and teach. And it's just like you're all a bunch of fucking this hypocrites. Spot on. But the the issue with it is like they're all being led by finances. So. In everything. Yeah, so that's the reason why sometimes we can't have nice things because they, they roadblock each <laughs> I other. I like that. I like that. They roadblock each other because they want to trick you into a, a single-issue voter. Whereas, like, I don't really have this direct... I'm not represented by any of these fucks because I'm like, want, you know what? You want guns? Cool. I don't want people with mental health issues to have guns. The rest of you can have whatever you want. At the same time, 
let's find a way to get decent health care to take care of these people that, you know, actually need it and not throw people off health insurance. And at the same time, you know what? There is plenty of fraud in the welfare system, but I used to work at a grocery store. One out of 10 people that would come through, I could tell, you know, we're faking it. But the other nine, they were getting milk and cheese for their kids. Now, should they have had kids at that point? No, maybe not. But maybe you didn't allow them the opportunity to have a Planned Parenthood. And, you know, it's just it cycles into itself. And as long as they get people to argue over the shit, they can do whatever the fuck they want to ar- to raise their wage and get us distracted. So what we found out today is George's a hippie. No, I'm just playing. Yeah. Uh, but every, yes, you should always talk to somebody who has a different opinion of you for the reason that you might be enlightened by something. You get, every, People, you have to stop closing your ability to learn and to navigate the world because you can take something from every conversation you have with someone that you can use or, or you should be able to do that. And if not, you're missing something or the conversation you had with that person is missing something. And I'm not talking about if you're your, your buddy sitting around talking about the fights tonight or fucking the boxing match or basketball or football, or whatever. I'm not like a genuine conversation. If, if you have those with people, you should always be able to take something from them. This ideal that we don't think like, so I can't, I can't be friends with you or I have to hate you is fucking stupid. We are far too intelligent of being to, to have that type of ideology. I think the internet created that. I, I, I don't. I think, it, I think the internet resonates it because now everybody's, you know who to group up with. Yep. Yeah, no, I, it's given a voice. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it was always and there. And that's the problem. Uh, should parents track their children? Fuck you. Why would you ask that question? That's tough. I don't have kids, but I would say circumstantially, yeah. Like if they're out in your neighborhood playing, no. If they're going to a concert with somebody and you just kind of want to know around where they're at. I'm not saying Hawkeye at the whole time like, oh, where'd you go? Oh, you went to this place to eat? But, like, if they're going to a place where it's a little more risky, maybe yes. And it depends on what age group you're talking about. But what? Teenagers. Teenagers? We'll go 13 to 20. Man. 13 to 18. Yeah. I say you do. I I disagree. Uh, Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't. I get them a bike and go have fun. (laughs) I don't don't do it to my kids. This Uh, is a very nuanced question. And I, I think this all comes down to... Your relationship with your kids too, and I'm not perfect or anything. No, I, dude. I, if you if you give your kids a bike and you say go play, you don't need to. No, if I give my kids, but if you're if, ta- I, if, if I give you're my kids a bike and say go play, I would rather track that kid. Yeah, if, but if your 15 year old is no, saying he's going I, to I someone's house, I gotta let him do his thing. I gotta let him have the same advantages and the same disadvantages that I had, and I also have like there's a trust. It, like man, I tell my I tell my my son this, the oldest one especially, I trust you until you give me a reason not to. And you don't have to look at it. You're going to, though. No, you're not. Well, no, f- I, I have it. We're on- aware of a lot of the ugly things in the world now that happen because of technology and the news and being first. But all those things were out there when we were kids, too. But we just came home when the, the streetlights came down. Right. And that was that was perfect. I, I it was know. fine. My kid got but caught the issue sneaking is out now one we night. have it. My kid got caught sneaking out one night because his phone dinged on his mom's shit. Well, two things. Don't sneak out. I know he wasn't doing shit, though. But... He should have the same advantages that I had. I found out some shit about my kid one time that I shouldn't have found out because somebody fucking knew about it and said, and I was like, well, I can't punish him for it. I'm not going to come down on him now. Turn the notification off. Because I found out unfairly. Oh, Sneaking out is part of a child. Exactly. It's it's, it's, it's the same thing, though. If you turn your phone off, that notification off, or that tracking device off, I know what you were doing, and you were lying. You can go back to it and go, hey, uh, so-and-so said something happened at whatever. Looks like you did leave. I didn't look at it because I trusted you. But it looks like you're fucking lying to me now, and now I have to deal with it. So do you want to tell me the truth? 
I, I think that's all valid. No, and I, I, I kind of wish. I already told my you kid. You know, I always say kids, they, kids I, crave, kids crave discipline. They I, need it. I, they have discipline. So, they, they do. But at some point, that it comes to a head, right? Like you need to be able to. I think that to, makes. I think it makes rebellion. I think it makes when you do shit like that, it makes the kid want to show that defiancy. And it may be part of my contrarian personality, but when they start, know what they're doing because they know they can be tracked. But you're trusting them to not do something stupid. Well, it's like those kids that go to parochial schools. That's what you're talking about. They were kind of subjected the whole time. This is the way you got to do it. You're not allowed to do this. Then they go to college. Right. And they get that first taste of freedom. They ain't had it before. It's like the Amish when they go on rum spring. Yeah. Some of them go a little nuts, right? They're like, this is what it can be? You know, I have a daughter in Chicago. I don't track a goddamn thing she's doing. Well, she, but if something goes wrong. She's 20-something. No, she's 23. Yeah. It's, but it's okay. If something goes awry... It, it's there. It's her phone, usable. Her, she's always, tra- and this is the thing too. They're always trackable with her phone, like whether you. Have, yeah, you but have, I don't want to leave that to fucking Google to tell uh, me that she was. I, under, I understand your. I understand where you come from. Missing. I disagree. If she was a girl, you actually, I did. I agree with your daughter. She, you should track your daughters. And if you tell me it's not the same, or I'm sexist, and fuck you, because uh, you have to worry about your sons being kidnapped until about 10, 11. Your daughter, there's no age. On that, it's for life. There's no cap. There's no cap to that. It's for life. Uh, and no, I would not gonna track my daughter either because I didn't do it with my sons. But if she had been first, I would have tracked them. Uh, I have one more question. I can't fucking find it now. Oh, at what age do you become an adult? Legally, they say eighteen. I mean, you can go fight for your country. You can't buy, you know, alcohol. Then though, I would say, how, how dumb is that? Yeah. Thanks, oh, by the way. Oh man, like. There's a time you You're think welcome. you got it all figured out, and that's about 23. You're like, man, I got this shit all figured out. I don't know what everybody's complaining about. I'm educated. I got out. I got a job. What are everybody bitching about? And then you hit, you know, that first little thing that happens in your 20s, like your job leaves or, you know, someone has a – I would say you're technically an adult in this day and age and experienced by 26 to 28, depending oh, on who you are. Good call. Some I was going to say 25. Some people have to grow up a little bit earlier, like if they lose a parent and they, you know, they have to take that role on – to help raise, you know, their brothers and sisters. But I would say generally normal lifestyle around that range. Yeah, 25, I think, is when everybody kind of clicks, where it kind of comes on. But, yeah, like, I remember waking up in Okinawa. I mean, like, oh, shit. I, I, think, like, I think mentally. I'm an adult. Yeah, I, I think men- mentally it's like 27, 28. I, I, do, I do believe that because I think 25 you're still figuring shit out a little bit. 25 uh, is when women have their quarter life crisis but sort of I, thing. I also think that it's That's when, when they come online. When you have your first like For men, life, it's probably 28. When you have your first life fucking alter it, like life changing moment, whether you're, it's a parent dying, uh, and it could happen to his fucking 13. You're, you're mentally not there. It's like that whole uh, the hot not scale or the hot crazy scale where they have to intersect in a certain line. That's kind of what it is for me. Like an event has to happen that you're not prepared for, and a certain age has to uh, get to that point too. Because it's different for everybody. It, uh, life is, it doesn't work out the same. We're not the same type of people. Uh, MMA GOAT. GSP, to me. I he like that answer. Revol- if I can elaborate on this. Yes, you can. He, elab- or sorry. <laughs> he is the one that basically wrote the blueprint for what guys do now. Because he was an athlete. He was doing strength conditioning. He was going to multiple gyms to train and putting it all together. Whereas before, guys were 
they were mostly in just one base and dealing with the same crew. But GSP, he was the engineer of how people try and make their camps out nowadays. And you know, it was just a different era back then. So since he was the first one to put it all together, that's why he was the most successful one. Tank Abbott. Frank Shamrock was the first one to actually do it. <laughs> to go to different gyms and to uh, put the style. I don't know about the different gyms. That might be wrong. But to put the different martial arts together and stuff like that. Uh, but Frank Shamrock, who would have ever guessed that? I know. I just found it out not too long ago. Kimbo Slice. Kimbo was a great street fighter. I, I respect the drip. Uh, but people want to hate on the dude all they you want. You know, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of him at first, but when he humbled <clears throat> himself to go on the Ultimate Fighter house and was like, okay, I'll see what this is. Those guys thought Fedor was going to walk through that door. Yeah. Whenever they were talking about, oh, we got a guest to come, they thought it was going to be Fedor. It and was. And they saw Kimbo walk in, and they started laughing. That's why they laughed in that part. But he earned their respect. It was street, it was street fucking uh, Fedor. That's who the fuck it was. Yeah. Uh, Kimbo is awesome to watch on the YouTube. Uh, this is fantastic. Yeah, this fuck is- yeah. Do you know who he, you know who fought Kimbo? Jorge Masvidal. Oh, yeah. Yes. Jorge's, Jorge's a legit badass. Uh, no matter how, what, him and Nate are very similar in their their, their I don't think Kimbo is uh, doing a lot of cardio. No, but oh, uh, Jorge's fucking, the, the weight difference. Yeah. That's badass of Jorge, though. Dramatic. Berger fought him, and if you watch the fight, Jorge taps out. What did he get him with? Uh, oh, he caught him, I think it was a guillotine. But he taps out, and then he realizes they're in a ring, so then he, he can circle out. And then he does that. Danny, pull that up and just get to that. Because I, I, I watched it. When he was getting ready, I forget who he was getting ready to fight. It might have been Nate. Uh, Nate. He was talking about, uh, I never tapped, blah, blah, blah. And I immediately was like, yes, you did. And I love Jorge, but he did tap. Burger did tap him. It, I, I, Meredith said uh, Silva. Anderson? Yeah. That's a good answer, too. And the goddamn. The Forrest Griffin incredible fight to- is the uh, fight you would want to show people what humans can actually do with their their, just their body because how he ducks dives and then fucking hits him with that j- yeah he, <laughs> had, he had a smoothness to him yeah it was, he, uh, he was definitely doing the matrix before it was the matrix yeah uh, forrest got knocked out in camp for that one that's why that's why he got dropped by a jab too well, i i think he just i think he gave up and he gave up because well it came out after the fact that he was knocked out i, I get that but he when you swing and swing and miss and miss that does something to your psyche yeah i would i can't disagree with that um Oh, it should be round two. Bodog. Was that in Russia? No, I think it was on an island. You don't remember Bodog? I remember Bodog. Yeah, I used to, I used to bet. I won a lot of money on Bodog. Matt Lindland fought uh, Fedor on that. Please tell me you saw the Russian fight between the woman and the like the featherweight. Oh, the, the 500 big, the, pound the big, yeah, dude, the big chick. The King Hippo against the... <laughs> King Hippo. It was like King Hippo versus this like featherweight chick. Greatest athlete of all time. In potential or accolade? No, one the greatest athlete of all time. Bo. Tom Brady. 20 years. Tom Brady doesn't even belong on this list. Tom Brady is not fucking doing anything. You said Bo Jackson. He belongs on the list, but it's not him. The greatest athlete of all time. And guys, I'm going to tell you this one time, one time only. Actually, I'm going to tell you a hundred times. Herschel Walker is the greatest athlete in the history of mankind. The dude played was on the Olympics bobsledding team. He fucking won an MMA fight at 46 years old. He fucking... Uh, his football career was his football ability was amazing. Forty six years old, he won his MMA debut. Oh, you're going athletic ability. I'd have Bo. to go with someone like that or Deion Sanders. Yeah, Bo. No, no, Herschel Walker's better than Bo. Okay, 
That's I know. I know. You're, and there's a year you're talking about too, where Bo had 30 home runs, 105 RBIs, and he rushed for five yards of carry. What? Do you, you yeah. know? Look yeah, at Herschel Walker's. Different, look at Herschel Walker's fucking type of across athlete. different avenues of sports. Like if you're talking about two sports, Herschel Walker did it across. He went to the fucking. He was on the Olympic team as a bobsledder. Caitlyn Jenner. Hey, that, that's a. Hey, you could make an argument for the old part of her being the greatest athlete of all time. Just saying. But it's it's really uh, Bo Jackson's in the category. But uh, what's his name? Jim Thorpe. It's Herschel Walker or Jim Thorpe. Those are the only two answers you can have. Thank you for listening to another good episode with us. Uh, we're just trying to bring you the best people and the best conversations that we can possibly find. Uh, I think we've done a really good job of that when we have. I've failed you on the technical side a little bit, but I promise you we're going to get better at it. I'm just going to keep cranking them out and doing what i got to do to keep rolling, keep this machine moving. Uh, to the next one, baby. One love.